0: Charlie Kirk is the founder and the president of Turning Point USA. It's the largest and the fastest growing conservative youth activist organization in the country, and he's joining us now to discuss this. Charlie, great to see you. Great to see you,
1: Kirk. You're a great American. Honored to call you a friend and glad to be here.
0: You know, I thank you. I want to just thank you for putting my name on the backdrop behind you, the way that you have so prominently. It actually looks like the Charlie and Kirk show, if you if you take a look. Yes, that's right. Should we could, we make,
1: co-hosts. The, we could uh, make the announcement right now to everybody. <laughs> I have the last name, you have the first name, and that's. I, I, th- I haven't met a Kirk Kirk yet, but I'm sure someone's out no. there.
0: Hey, my son just came back from uh, TPUSA's Student Action Summit in Florida. He was blown away. He was just set on fire. Uh, it, that's an amazing thing. Um, what, what was your takeaway from SAS?
1: It was exhausting for you know all of us that organized it, but it was amazing, Kirk. We had over 4,000 students from all across the country mm. uh, in Tampa, Florida. Some of the most amazing speakers you can imagine, Kaylee McEnany, Governor Ron DeSantis, Mike Pompeo, Senator Ted Cruz, and more. And the team did an um, absolutely incredible job in their execution of the event. In the first-class uh, way that we went about doing everything, it was the largest ever young conservative gathering in American history, and that's exactly why most people don't even know what happened because the media refused to cover it. Uh, they don't like showing that there's people that are gathering around first principles and God-granted rights and the Constitution and free speech and American exceptionalism. And so, super pleased that your son had a great time and. We've been hearing lots of stories like that, praise God.
0: Well, that's what I, what I love about what you do too, is you're not only motivating people with great speakers and cool events for young people, but you're also educating them about the things that they're often not hearing in their schools, particularly public schools for sure, but even private schools, even faith-based schools are not teaching these kinds of principles uh, without which We don't have a republic like we do. One of those principles is religious freedoms. Um, When I was in school as a kid, I didn't really learn much about that at all. In fact, I wasn't religious. And so for me, I didn't even really care about the subject. But to our founders, it was absolutely essential. Why is religious freedom the mother of all freedoms?
1: First and foremost, it's the freedom to worship your own creator, um, the reason why you exist. And also the founding fathers designed this system of self-government, believing that only with a moral and religious people this was possible. It's John Adams' quote where he said, the Constitution was written solely for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate for the people of any other. And so limited government is only possible when people are able to regulate their own decisions and conduct, particularly in religious communities or having at least the church or the worship of God as a centerpiece of your life. So this idea of liberty, the way that the founding fathers understood liberty, is not the traditional libertarian view of liberty that we've come to realize in America. It's the ability to pursue virtue without somebody getting in the way. The necessity of virtue was fundamental to the American founding. Mm. 55 out of 56 of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were Christians who regularly attended church. At least a dozen Kirk were pastors, and maybe even more. Right. And more than that, had religious degrees of people that went to religious institutions. State barriers and boundaries were actually the beginning and the end of certain religious traditions uh, that had certain uh, certain perspectives on what, which, which strain of Protestantism was the best and most effective way to practice Christianity. For example, uh, Pennsylvania was heavily Quaker, right? We all know that example. And so the founding fathers were only able to be able to articulate a doctrine of separation, were able to participate in the separation of the British people, and then a creation of a new government because they understood the teachings of the Bible and they understood the moral right to religious freedom. Religious freedom in the United States Constitution is unlike anything else. It's mentioned twice in two different ways. The first is in the Establishment Clause, and the second is in the Free Expression Clause. The Establishment Clause is that Congress shall make no religion. And this was actually not that religion has no place in government, but it was a promise to every single strain of Protestant uh, tradition in the colonial times that, It was not going to become an Anglican or Episcopalian or Quaker or Presbyterian or Lutheran country that every single denomination would be respected. The free expression clause is the most important though. That the government has no right to get in the way of your religious conscience, your ability to gather, to assemble, and to be able to worship your creator. This is a unique attribute and characteristic of the American system and as soon as you lose religious freedom, state control then begins to set in.
0: You know, you said something earlier on in, in, uh, in that answer where you said that the, the only reason we're able to handle freedom in America is because people have uh, understood the value of self-government. And really what that is, is the pursuit of virtue. But, but how does that relate to re- being religious? Right. Were the founders just saying, well, we just prefer that people are religious. And yeah, a lot of us were pastors and ministers. But someone might say, wait, Charlie, are you implying that in order to be virtuous, you've got to have a religious root in there? Is it really that important or can't we just be atheists and be good?
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's good atheists. I get this question a lot. There's a lot of good atheists out there. They're good because they're practicing the Judeo-Christian ethic. They just don't want to admit it. The question is, yeah, what we is practice the good? the Darwinian that, that, ethic,
0: uh, we, I could end up eating my neighbor because uh, you
1: know, I'm, I'm fitter and I'm surviving. Precisely. That's right. And so the question is, what is good? I always ask young people, I say, well, what do you mean I can't be a good atheist? I said, you could be a good atheist. I've never said that. Where do you get this definition of good from? What is right? What is transcendent? What is evil? These are really big questions. And thankfully we have an amazing tradition in the Christian um, in the Christian world of what all these things mean. It's good to try to grow, cl- grow closer to your creator. It's good to defend the innocent. It's good to tell the truth. It's evil to call good evil and evil good. It's evil to turn your back on those that can't defend themselves. It's evil to disobey your parents. It's evil to take another life. We take this for granted because it's Mm. kind of been meshed into the DNA of Western culture. Right. And it's, it's not normative to the human experience. So to answer your question, freedom is not sustainable if you remove religion. And I'll be even more specific. Freedom is not sustainable if you remove Christianity. Eventually, it will implode. Eventually, you will be ruled simply by your senses. You'll be ruled simply by your consciousness. I'm a big lover of reason. I think reason is a gift from the Lord. It says in Isaiah 1, let us reason together. But reason without revelation, reason without the belief in a transcendent order will go exactly where you articulated it, Kirk. It will go to where John Stuart Mill or where Darwin articulated, which is the survival of the fittest, a eugenicist-type experiment, and we as Christians should reject that.
0: Charlie, just lastly, before we go away to a break... This idea of uh, the separation of church and state still seems to come up. Even though it's not in the Constitution, it's not in the Bill of Rights, there's a principle there that people get entirely backwards and upside down thinking that that is the reason why we shouldn't talk about God or faith in the government. Is that true?
1: No. I mean, it's in a single letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Convention. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Declaration. It's not in the Bill of Rights. It's not in the Federalist Papers. It's not in any of those foundational documents. Uh, that really formed this republic that we have. It was adopted by the Warren Burger Court in the 1960s and 70s as a reason to get prayer out of schools. But let's pretend they were right, Kirk. Let's pretend that they were right for a second, even though they're not. Then why don't they keep the state out of the church? Why don't they keep the public health officials from going into churches and locking them down? I thought they want separation of church and state. They can't even be consistent with their own lies. Right. Even, if they were right, Kirk, this last year with the lockdowns, no church would have been forced to close. No no church would be facing fines, fines like Mike McClure at Calvary Chapel, San Jose. Yeah. In fact, they've never believed that. The only thing they believed is that the state can do whatever you want. The church should not try to influence the state. This is rubbish. The founding fathers always believed that Christians deserved to be counselors to the king, not deserved, they needed to be counselors to the king. The people whispering in the ear of the leaders, counseling them, do this and don't do that. The church has abdicated its moral place to be counseling the king or counseling the political leaders in our country and we see the result of that.
0: that. That is so true because I think religion uh, is inescapable uh, for us as human beings and as a culture and if we kick God off of the throne we can't really do that but in our minds if we want to play make believe and think we can do that that creates a vacuum and then we as a man a group of people uh, corporately as a state we'll assume the position of the God of our culture the supreme dictator from which all authority flows all laws flow and then we end up bowing down to a totalitarian government, which you're doing such a fantastic job of uh, keeping from happening in the minds of young people, and I thank you. Charlie, after this break, we're going to talk a little bit more, you and me and everyone watching, about what we can do about this ourselves, as parents, as grandparents. Uh, How can we practice and protect religious freedoms? Coming up next. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Charlie, let's get practical. I wanna talk about how you and me and the people that are watching can practically do something to practice religious freedom, because if we don't practice it, it's gonna go away, and how we can protect it from those who are taking it away from us. What are you personally doing? I mean, I know you've got TPUSA organizationally, you've got SAS, these fantastic, amazing events for young people. But I've seen you in some TikTok and YouTube videos where you're actually speaking at school board meetings or at city council meetings. Yes. I can't remember which one. But but talk about some of these uh, boots on the ground, everyday things that you're doing that other people can do, too.
1: Yes. I mean, everyone should be showing up to school board meetings all across the country. We're going to be showing up to the Scottsdale Unified School District meeting whenever it is, if they allow us to, because they keep going mobily and virtually, because they're afraid to actually face the citizens. I'm a taxpayer in Scottsdale, and they are doing some really sinister stuff. Let me tell you what, Kirk. And I'm not going to put up with it. I went to the Chandler Unified School District, also a a payer of income tax in Arizona, so showed up there. We have to be active, be involved, and show up at all these meetings, Kirk. The other thing is this, though, is that people say, what do I do? What do I do? I ask them, Are you the same person publicly that you are privately? That's the most important thing that Mm. you just have to do. No more disguising yourself when you leave your home. No more that you got to put on the jersey of being kind of this like secular liberal when you're at work. No. You are living under the tyranny of other pressure. Yes, you might lose your job. Yes, you might lose your friends. But the moment that you have to now pretend to be somebody you're not in social situations, then they've won. The minute that breaks, then all of a sudden they're going to start to lose. Their power is in their ability to make us to conform. I believe it's Romans 8.12 or Romans 12.8. This is how I kind of get the numbers screwed up at times. Um, Do not conform to the ways of this world. It is a biblical teaching to not conform to the ways of this world. Yet so often, Kirk, the number one piece of feedback I get on our program here on our podcast, and you've been on our podcast before, Kirk. I'd love to have everyone check it out is that they tell us, Charlie, I'm afraid I will lose this, 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 this. And I say, that fear is a tactic used by the enemy to silence truth. Right. And that fear is understandable. But if you succumb to that fear, then all of a sudden you are playing into the greatest weapon used by the opposition.
0: So who are the biggest thieves? Where where should we uh, where should we be looking to say, okay that's a that's an area where they're looking to strip me of my religious freedoms and my ability to be who I am privately when I'm in public?
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest is for, you know, forcible jobs, uh, forcing you to lose your job, Uh, mockery, ridicule, isolation, um, if you have a different view. And the biggest thing is this, is that if you get a knot in your stomach because you're afraid to speak out at a friend's house about a political matter or a social matter or a religious matter, that's the testing point. If you get a knot in your stomach at work about that, and look, I'm not going to counsel you to be brash. You have to have prudence. You have to have practical judgment when you do these things. You shouldn't just rush into it and just start screaming at your you know, work that, you know, vaccines are like, I don't want to take the vaccine or whatever, right? That's not what I'm saying, because some people are doing that, and that's not wise. What I am saying, though, is when asked or pressured or prodded, don't lie. Tell the truth. Hmm. Tell the truth in every single thing. I could tell you this. People say, Charlie, how are you able to do what you do? It's so simple. I say the exact same things privately to our production meeting of our podcast that I say on the show. That's the, that's the secret to our success. There's There is no separation here. And my team is laughing because they're like, yep, that's right. The, it, we are. There's no camouflaging. There's no disguising. There's no, like, poll testing. What is true? This is what I'm going to say. I encourage other people to do that. And by the way, it's not easy, but it's so liberating, Kirk. It's so beautiful. You never have to worry about being restrained to another, looking around your shoulder, the cost of, of speaking your mind. It, it's, it's freedom that truly comes from the Lord. Well,
0: I agree, and as an actor, I have made my living being somebody publicly that I am not privately, right? That's what, that's what we do for a living, and so we get really good at it, and so for me, I've gotta unlearn what has become so natural. Yes. Um, and we, most of us know that this is going to come at some kind of a cost. Like you said, losing your job um, is, is a big deal for someone who doesn't have a big social media platform to be able to get uh, other ways of getting their message out, other ways of uh, you know m- monetizing all the good work that they're doing. And so, understandably, it's like, well, what do I do? But if we all do it, and if we join together, voluntary unions, and we begin to associate with one another, we can then begin rebuilding the systems and the institutions, which is what we should have been doing from the beginning, rather than relying on platforms built by people who want to destroy our message, right? That would be like Jesus trying to depend on the Pharisees to, to disseminate his gospel to Israel. You'd be like, well, well, of course they're not going to want to do that. And so he created his own disciple, uh, discipleship program and sending, sending them out, right? And that's what we need
1: to begin doing. And I see people are doing it because we have no choice now. I love it. Yeah, that, that's right, Kirk. And I just want to acknowledge something. There is a cost to this. I'm not going to lie to our audience. I'm not going to lie to your audience. And I'm also not going to say if you do nothing, you're a coward. I am not saying that. A lot of people have different pressures and may have different uh, decisions to make, bills to pay, children to take care of. That's right. So I'm not just – I'm not doing this. I'm not saying you're a bad person. What I am saying, though, is people say, what do I do? Well, that's an action step. But brave and courageous and moral things, Kirk – rarely don't come without a cost. Yeah. Right. That's right. I mean, think about that. People want the glory. They want the valor. They want the recognition, but they don't want to have to go through the cost to do that. That's right. And what I'm just trying to be honest with people is if you want to do something meaningful, then you have to be willing to sacrifice for that something. What are some things that
0: encourage you, that you see other young people doing in America right now? Are are there some examples that you can share? Like, okay, let me tell you what some of these guys did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of young people start to run for office. I'm seeing a lot of young people get involved in their local school boards, Mm. participate in FOIA's Freedom of Information Act requests to actually get documents from their school boards. I'm seeing a ton of movement, Kirk, that is really giving me hope and promise. I'm seeing parents start to rise up. But do you know what gives me the most amount of hope is how true I know our message is. That's mm-hmm. what gives me hope. Yeah. And as long as we have people keep on repeating things that are true, it says in the scriptures, Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is good, ponder on these things, defend these things. If you go back to the Greek, it is it is to take care of these things, to nurture them. Then that's what we got to do. And look, Jesus Christ, Logos, which means reason, truth, there's a lot of different ways to... Uh, describe the word logos in the New Testament uh, that's talked that spoke about in the book of John, but Jesus was truth. He didn't just say true things. He was the embodiment of truth. And if I'm, if I'm going to be honest, we as Christians have gotten away from our commitment to always telling the truth all the time. And, and it's not to say that people tell lies a lot is that they're living a lie. It's that they have to go pretend to go put on some costume and Jersey At school or work and to be someone that they are it that's the same thing as telling a lie by the way Kirk that's the same thing as saying that black is actually white and white is actually black when you have to go to school and you're like well what what do you think about this Johnny Oh, I think that uh, that there is no God and I don't I don't know next question that's just as bad Kirk is living out something you don't believe so my call to action is that courage is only moral when it's rooted in truth. If we have the truth, we have to act on it, and that's when things are gonna to start to change. I, I, I love
0: that, I love that. I When I think of how courageous you uh, are, when I think of how courageous pastors are like Rob McCoy and Jack Hibbs and others, and I think of uh, so many people who spoke at at, uh, at the SAS meetings, um, we, we, we look at that and I go, Man, how do you get that kind of courage? And I think what you said is exactly right, is that we have the truth on our side. For crying out loud, there is a God yes. in heaven who governs in the affairs of men, and, and he's a God of justice and truth. Now, that could go bad for us if, if we're actually uh, doing bad things, and, 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 and our nation comes under a time of judgment. But if our cause is just, he's gonna make that shine. He's behind us, he's the wind in the sails for truth to push us uh, to the finish line. And that makes me excited. And then I also think about the flip side, and I, I, I think, man, if we don't stand up with courage and we just back down as cowards, history tells me where our republic will go. And I can't believe everybody wants to anybody wants to go there, and I think the people don't. No one wants to live in totalitarian countries where they have no freedom, except the people that are running the joint. It's great for them, because they have all the freedom. Yes. And, and they're for freedom too, actually. Just their own freedom to do anything that they want and use the people as pawns and tools to advance their, their, their own kingdom with them as gods. So, uh, so it's both. Uh, we, have, we have a lot at stake. Uh, let, let me ask you this one final question. Um, if we could bring back the value for religious freedom and we could re-enshrine it and celebrate it and defend it, all across this nation, what would be the positive effects that we would begin to see culturally?
1: Yeah, we would see a revival, and we would see people start to put God first, which is what we need to do. We need to try to recreate a transcendent order. Uh, we need to try to recreate this idea of a properly ordered hierarchy. And that's that. That's the true thing that we need to have right now. And look, religious freedom is under attack in, in a very, very, scary way in our country and in our nation. It's only going to change when the faithful start to commit to freedom. The most important thing you could do in your life is give your life to Jesus Christ. Mm. The second most important thing is make sure you could do the first thing. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Second thing, make sure that you have the freedom to do that.
0: Charlie, why should non-religious people care about religious freedom? If they say, not my issue, you deal with it. Why are they making a big
1: mistake? Yeah, they They're wrong, because the church is all that is preventing totalitarianism from setting in. Exactly. You're enjoying the surpluses of the fruit of the American system. The church and religious freedom is what keeps this entire society ordered together. You're starting to see this disintegrate. Even secular people that I know, they don't want to live in secular places anymore. Do you notice that? Right. Secular people I know don't want to live in New York anymore. They don't want to live in L.A. anymore. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to Texas. I wonder why you're going to Texas. Is it that because they've actually honored religious liberty and freedom for longer? Oh, I want to go to Arizona. I wonder why. why. Why aren't you moving to Portland? Like, why aren't you moving to Seattle? Right. So even the secular types, they themselves admit that that cities and areas that have had more of a reverence for God and for tradition and for order and for the church are actually nicer places to live, Kirk. Yeah. It's actually more beautiful. And what I mean by beautiful is that which is perfected in being. Less homelessness, less vagrancy, anti-American nonsense, the economy's more robust, you're looking up for the fellow neighbor, crime is down. All these things just kind of fall into place, kind of mysteriously, not so mysteriously actually for the secular folks out there, when you actually have religious freedom that is preserved and protected. And you could see this. I I, I joke around with some of my secular friends, like, oh, I'm moving out of Boston, I'm moving out of New York, it's the worst place ever. I'm like, where are you going? Tennessee. Like, oh, really? I wonder, 10 years ago, the secular types were making fun of Tennessee because it was the Bible Belt in the southern part of America. (laughs) Now all of a sudden it's super desirable. I wonder why. I wonder why they have their act together. It's because they've put God first. Now they're losing that in some sense, but still there's this remnant of a society that was created by the Christian ethic that even secular types want to live under. All people should care about religious freedom if you care about the well-being of humanity.
0: That's right. That's right, and and, uh, I know that Benjamin Franklin understood that, and and some of our founders who were more irreligious than others, or less religious, I should say, they understood that Christianity was the ground that they were standing on in in order to keep their beliefs without being persecuted for them. And so I think, man, if you've got a freaky flag to fly, America's the place to fly it. Try to go fly that flag in another country in the Middle East. It's not going to go so well for you. Yet, we're advocating for similar kinds of government ultimate totalitarian rule uh, that is going to make this country like those places. That's just insanity. It's suicidal thinking.
1: That's right. That's exactly right, Kirk. And so if if you remove the church, you remove faith, all of a sudden, all this other freedom we enjoy goes away.